Hi, and welcome to Off Color Commentary, your go-to podcast for all things media, culture, and politics. We're your hosts, Aisha, Meha, Cora, and I'm April. Today, we're going to be discussing colorism in casting, raising Dion, and a few other things. But first, what have y'all been watching this week? Okay, so who remembers the show Deadly Class? Came out a couple years ago. There was one season. Who knows about it? I remember it. The Lana Condor one, right? That's the one. Do y'all know the premise of the show? Because I watched it this weekend after I heard about it in a Twitch stream. And it is a mess, y'all. I've never heard of it. I remember it. Um, I remember, like, watch binging, like, three episodes. And then it lost me after the character I liked did something. I I, I fell off of it after something happened on the show that I was like, mm, burp. But yeah. no, no, the way you just described the entire series, basically, because, OK, so when I watched it, I heard about it from Karen Horn, the blurred girl on her Twitch show this week. And I was like, OK, it sounds a little bit like Assassination Classroom. And I love that anime. Let's tune in. And it has Benedict Wong. The first episode is literally Benedict Wong introducing himself and this like cool for mercenaries to this character. And the way he describes it is it was set up by his grandfather who came to America as a, like a Chinese railroad worker. And then he was abused, indentured servitude, blah, blah, blah. He trained himself to become like an assassin to get revenge. And then you basically come to the school, you gain the skills needed to topple the ruling class, right? Fantastic. I'm here for it. And then three seconds after that, uh, we're introduced to one of the students who is a literal white supremacist. There it is. <laughs> and, um, and then the show goes on and it's like, it's it's a high school drama. So there's, you know, like clicks. And then we have kids who are literal fed. They're the children of literal fed. And I'm like, how is this a school to, you know, topple the ruling class, but we have literal white supremacists and literal federal agents in this building and then children of billionaires. It's not making sense. It's giving problematic, but that's unsurprising. I haven't watched anything interesting recently. I have been binge watching old procedurals. So I've been on a Criminal Minds vibe for like the past three weeks. Can't get over it. How, how much they ruined that show once Derek left. And then also how fat phobic it was that Derek and Penelope never became a thing. Also racist. Honestly, yeah. Like, because the thing is, like, the chemistry they had, they made it very clear and it was very playful. So it could have been very cute. And instead, it just, it stayed exactly where it was. What was the point? There wasn't one. Mm-hmm. How about y'all, Meha uh, and Tora? What have y'all been watching? Um, I have been watching The Cleaning Lady, which is a new show on Fox. Um, it's a lot of fun. I'm having a good time with it. It's about a um, an undocumented Cambodian um, American played by uh, Electra from Daredevil um, is her most famous role. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. But um, she is a former doctor who is working as a cleaner in Vegas to try to pay her son's medical bills um, and ends up getting involved with the mafia. Um, so it's it's Fox. So it's it's the writing is what it is, but it's very entertaining so far. So I'm having a good time with it. I think her name is like Elodie or Elodie Young. That is correct. Yeah, because I watched the first episode and I really liked it, but then I forgot to keep going back. So obviously I need to return. I would recommend it. It's a good time. It's fun. Okay, question. I was reading into it a little bit ago, and it sounds pretty similar to like Devious Maid. Someone is involved in like a cleaning company. They witness a crime and then 
they fall in love with someone who was at, also at the crime scene. It's it seems very similar. There's also like the whole undocumented storyline in Devious Maids too, except you know with Devious Maids, it's the son of one of the maids, and she ends up sleeping with the man whose house she's cleaning. And he's not even the one who brings her child over. So if like he was just useless there. How is cleaning lady different? Um, I haven't seen Devious Maids, but based on the description, cleaning lady is a lot more of like a mafia or like a mob story. Um, it's set in Vegas with this kind of I think it's an Armenian mob. They do sort of drug deals, arms dealing, um, and they're sort of the big criminal force in the story and her cleaning skills are what sort of get her. She basically, she does witness a crime, but she offers to be able to clean up the evidence for them. And that's how she kind of gets embroiled in their world. So rather than it being all about her sort of cleaning jobs, it's more that that is the gateway into the world of the mob. Um, and it's in Vegas. So there's a lot of like casino related crime hotel fronts for various illegal activities so there's a lot of that going on because imagine like witnessing a crime and your instant reaction is i can clean that i mean the other choice is that you die i mean or die and somebody else is cleaning it i'm gonna clean it it. (laughs) that's fair no 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 because like (laughs) is the whole is the justification that she's a doctor so like she just knows how to like take care of a body she actually from the first episode i haven't watched any others but Uh she actually winds up helping um one of the like mafia dudes out of a situation so that's Mm -hmm. part of the doctory thing yeah her doctor skills like come through in unexpected moments um and sort of get her a little extra clout which helps i've watched none of this i just how did they get to that conversation she walks she walks in on the body and they're like clean this and she's like oh i'll clean it also i'm a doctor like when did they get to that conversation like no because okay Listen, beyond just that, as a former medical child myself, listen, I dropped out, but I know enough to know that doctors don't clean their shit. There's an entire team of people scrubbing up after them, scrubbing up before them. Who is she only she's only cleaning because she doesn't have a choice. It's got to do with like the secret immigration situation. Like she's, you know, basically she can't be a doctor in the U.S. because of reasons, you know, like how we don't accept everybody's medical. Yeah, basically. Um, So she can't be a doctor in the U.S. So she winds up getting hooked up with the cleaning company. So she's doing that instead. Um, And then she doesn't walk in on the first crime. She happens to be there. They bring some people in. She's hiding. They do the murder, you know, and then they realize she's there because she made a noise. They come and they like find her hiding spot. And she's like, no, wait, don't kill me. I can clean up. You know, I'll make it like it was never I worked for a cleaning company. I got this. You're good. And then the doctoring showed up later on because of something that's happening in her personal life. I mean, I don't know why I'm hiding it. We've basically done the whole first episode, but her son's sick. And so the doctoring happens when she realizes that when she sees one of the mafia guys at the hospital where she is with her son. And so that's when that whole thing, like, it's just, you know, it works. Okay. Honestly, um, a millennial Gen Z relatable experience. Like you got your degree, that shit is useless. And now you have transferable skills. An icon, an entrepreneur. You know what she did? She girl bossed. I support her, honestly. (laughs) She goes through it, but she makes the best of a bad situation. And now here she is with the mob. Um, Also for for my girls who like the the Kindle Unlimited 
type of romance novel. If you know, you In know. Dark romance. We're go yeah, we're going down that route. So I'm having a great time with it. So the girls that get it, get it. And the girls that don't, don't. Listen, we could do a whole other episode on just like dark romance because TikTok is like full of like recommendations. I saw something where a man apparently in the book is like, I'm gonna bite out your eye like IUD. And I'm like, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Was that supposed to be romantic? Apparently. Allegedly. Uh Okay. And I'm not the audience for that. I would have been like, why? But I digress. Um, talk to me a little bit more about Cleaning Lady. What is, because I know I've seen pictures, the lead actor, she is great. And we've seen her in Daredevil. Do we have any other actors that are like darker skin? Because she's like brown skin and Asian. She's not super dark skin. So do we have like a range of skin tones and representation beyond just her? Honestly, no. In terms of colorism, it's still kind of in that sort of not passing the paper bag test at all. The representation, I will say it's executive produced by an Asian woman. The lead Mm -hmm. character and her sister-in-law, who's also her best friend, are both Asian. All their kids are Asian. The leading man is, I believe, Mexican. So there is that kind of racial representation there and does address kind of immigrant and diaspora communities and undocumented experiences very head on. But in terms of the colorism, I would there's definitely not a a lot of visible diversity in skin tone that I've seen going on, which is a shame because it is, it's set in Vegas. There's like, there's no reason for them not to be able to expand the kinds of faces we're seeing on their screen. They're sort of really well primed for that type of cast. And I don't think they've gone as far as they could have with it. Honestly, like it's, there's no excuse ever. Cause it's like, there's never a situation where you can just be like, oh no, we only had to cast light-skinned people. There's never a fucking excuse to do that. But it's really tiring to see that. The whole excuse that they gave with that last, um, what was the show, Lin-Manuel? In the Heights or whatever? In the Heights, yeah. And then, you know, Rita Morena came onto what's a Stephen Colbert show and said, wait your turn. And I was like, okay, let's not do that. What is it with, like, it's really disappointing to see that, like, shows refuse to move past, like, Fenty 260s. Like, they st- they stop right there. And I was like, okay, that's it. We couldn't cast a wider net. Like, I'm not disparaging any of the actors. Okay, I'm disparaging some of them. But a good amount of them are talented. Like, the actor that plays the cleaning lady in Electra, she's a very talented actor. Even in Raising Dion, uh, like, Alicia Wainwright, she's a very talented actor. Seeing the show Raising Dion versus seeing the original concept film that was developed by the comic creator, which actually casts like a darker skin plus size woman to play Dion's mother. It's really just like you can't just forget that it stays with you and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth every time. Listen, they said dark skin gives them heebie-jeebies. Is Gina Rodriguez on the on the executive team? (laughs) Is she producing? It, it, It feels like they can keep giving us these these like platitudes and they can keep giving um, excuses, but at this point, it kind of seems purposeful. You know, like they're trying to send messages about what families should look like and what's an acceptable family unit. And it's it's getting exhausting. It's we've had to see it for years. Being a, a browner, darker, a darker skinned um, person of color, like. It, trying to see representation in the media of a family. It where do I where do I look for that? Where am I going to see that? And especially talking to um, my nieces and nephews and trying to show them positive representation is really hard. 
Yeah. I think what really hits me about I think what really mm-hmm. gets me about raising Dion's um casting issue is that if you look at the original cast, I believe the original mom was um Yupinda Morton and she's not even that dark. It's not even like we're looking at like somebody who was super dark, which it still wouldn't have been acceptable. But for you to go from somebody who was like lighter than me and i don't think i'm like really dark on the dark scale right she's lighter than me um to somebody who is not even close to the color of a paper bag unless she's tanned it's just outstanding right i don't understand the uh the logic and i don't think it had to do with the acting we can't even get carried watching this anymore gosh it's going backwards It's going backwards because for a good minute, you know, when Shonda was running um, her, like, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, her kingdom. Shondaverse. Yeah. We had multiple darker skinned leading ladies. Then if they weren't like the main lead, they were at least relatively important to the show. Think Grey's Anatomy, because obviously Mm -hmm. Meredith is the girl, but there were still darker skinned women. Meredith doesn't even want to be the girl. Oh, not anymore. But (laughs) Ellen Pompeo might, because I don't think she's going to get a lot of offers. She keeps running her mouth. It's kind of ugly. I don't know if she's going to get a lot of offers once the show's over. But yeah, we went from, it seemed like we were making progress. And then you had like um, women like Ryan Destiny on Star, who is darker. You have Gabby Union, obviously, who's like the it girl when they need a darker skin actress of a certain age. And then it just was like, okay, well, we did enough. You know, you guys should be happy for a few years. And they said, let's go back to what we're used to. Really weird for me. You know that, That's okay, what that, happens when people start doing things, when people are only doing things because it's for like a diversity kick. They're not really doing things because they believe in it, because they believe that things need to change. They're doing it because, oh, we don't want to come under fire for this, or Mm -hmm. we're doing this to make a temporary change to show that we believe in this too, but it's not really a change of heart or they've cut or they're growing. They're just, we don't want to, we don't want to look like this is what we believe, but beliefs haven't actually changed. Y'all remember like, in the 2020 process, every fucking company started to put like darkest and black models on everything. And then a couple months later, it went right back to like barely any like range of skin tones on their products. It was just like white models again. That brings up like something really important that I, again, in like a show, I'm going to shout, I'm going to shout out the blurred girl, Karen Horn again, because she had April rain on the show. And I believe they were discussing inclusivity and representation in media. And April brought up something, which was like, if you look at entertainment and representations of blackness in media it's very cyclical like they will have period like ebbs and flows where you will see a lot of darker skin actors being cast and then they'll disappear again until someone causes a fuss and then they'll be like okay fine you can have some again yeah that's just even more disheartening because you feel like you've made some progress only for them to be like okay cool now they're not as mad so we can just go back to how things were Yeah, it's very much about them not wanting to come under fire in the media and not wanting to lose, not wanting their shares to go down, not wanting their corporations to sink. Like not it's it's about their money at the end of the day. So if they start to look bad in the media, stocks are gonna plummet a little bit. So let's give the let's give the colors their things, just a little, not all their things, just little things, enough for them to shut up. And, and then okay they're quiet they're good 
<laughs> what's really crazy like when you think about it i feel like i said that already but like when you think about it michael b jordan has a history of like this kind of mm-hmm. thing i guess i would say i was i just watched his amazon prime tom clancy thing where he is a soldier it's kind of like the keanu reeves john wick situation so he's a soldier his wife who's pregnant is murdered and you know he's out for revenge basically his wife is lauren london beautiful she's gorgeous i love looking at her and you know she's super light Michael's not that dark himself. I remember in the interview that they had after the fact, basically he said he hoped that this type of representation of seeing different and diverse characters on screen would usher in a new like age. And I'm just like, where is the, where is it? Where is it? You know, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm not catching it. <laughs> so, and then I think they wanted to highlight that Jodie Turner Smith, who is darker, definitely was, represented as like a higher up figure in the military and okay that's great but that's also not necessarily the type of representation that i'm into when it comes to the military yeah when it comes to my darker skinned black women i don't i'm not vibing with that you know it's okay so you brought up the fact that like everyone keeps talking about how they'll like put a little bit of color on screen and they're like it's representation it's diversity do y'all remember when shadow and bone came out there was the whole hubbub of like Nina. Nina's character was supposed to be like plus size. And it's not, it's, she's not curvy. That girl is fat. It's typically said in the books, she is fat and she is seen as attractive and desirable. And it's very explicit. But then when we get to casting, mm-hmm. whereas I'm, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing fat. And Shadow and Bone also had the colorism issue with Jesper because he's also played by a lighter skin actor. I was going to say, don't even get me started talking about Shadow and Bone right now because after they released their most recent new cast, it's just, it's so white. If I didn't know that these people were of a certain ethnicity or nationality, I would literally, like from a distance, it looks like a picture of white people, a bunch of white people. You have to zoom in to see the tiniest bit of beige. It's kind of problematic for me, kind of not very problematic, especially like when you talk about characters like Jesper, whose literal description is that he's a dark skinned man, right? That's actually in the written description. They talk about it all the time. The twins, whose names I can't remember right now, are also described as being browner with like golden eyes. Like there's no... I just don't understand why it's so hard, especially when you're adapting material for you to be faithful to what you're what you're taking from. Right. It's not like it's impossible mm. to find talented actors of color. You're just choosing to overlook them. Consistently. And it's not, just, not just the actors, because do y'all remember what we learned about Inej's stunt double? I believe that was a, I'm not 100 percent sure, but wasn't it that a white woman in brown face? It was. They they browned her up. Excuse me? Stunt casting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Tora, they fully put a white woman in brown face for that. And the thing is, I literally like for off color, you know, like I reviewed that book, Fight Like a Girl by Sheena Kummel. Sheena is, she's worked as a stunt double. She's an Indo-Trinidadian woman. She's uh, brown skin and she's a legit fighter. She's done stunt work. So I'm like, y'all couldn't just hire someone like Sheena. At what point did, because this had to go through several different channels. People had to, there were makeup artists applying brown face to this white woman. Nobody said, you know what? I'm not going to do this. They said, give her the Kardashian. The white woman had to have the brown face applied to her. She looked at herself in the mirror and said, you know what? I'm I'm okay with this. And then she walked on the set and everybody said, 
this is fine. And then someone edited it. And at no point. And I think the one of the one of the problems is how like skin, like skin deep the representation is. Because I think we've touched on this, but it, I feel like since the conversations about representation have gone from being sort of something that only people of color talk about to being a mainstream concern, it's about checking boxes as quickly as possible. But they suddenly become for the white gaze. It becomes about how companies think a mainstream audience will receive it and when they think of a mainstream audience they don't think of how will the people we're supposed to be representing respond to this they're going to think about white people because they're seen as the default and so that's i think they they feel so much more comfortable existing in a space that's just built on proximity to whiteness so that's why they just keep defaulting to what they think white people who they view as the default as the majority are going to be comfortable with rather than thinking are we actually representing a diverse group of people as honestly and authentically as we can. That's a very interesting point because I, when you're making a body of work and you start to realize, is this, am I making this for, who is this, who is the audience? And it, it is no longer for the audience you intended it. Am I making this about this community? Am I making it geared towards the community and about the community? And does it serve the community? Or am I making it to explain to white people about what's going on inside this community? Because those are two different things. Those are two entirely different things. And I and sometimes I watch things that I realize, oh, this is like I'll, I'll watch things and they'll make jokes that seem like they're supposed to be black jokes, but they'll explain the joke. And I'm like, oh, this is for white people because they wouldn't explain the joke if it was supposed to be for black people. They wouldn't need to. This isn't let's, for my community. Let's talk about it, though, because they also do that not with jokes, but just like everyday or regular mm-hmm. situations. I don't want to say everyday. Talking about raising Dion because that's what started this. There's a scene in the new season where one of the kids is, you know, she's unstable or whatnot, and they bring out the big guns. And then there's that conversation between Nicole and Ooh, right. um, her mom. And it's just like, oh, they always do that. We don't need to have that conversation, right? I, I, I already knew what, that's what, what I'm goes saying. on. Like, I don't need to have the conversation really sad moment those poor black people living in that community (laughs) and it was just ill gross Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who is this like and and it's very much i don't need this this savior moment that you're making this into and it's now gotten it now feels like you're creating this lens into a community that didn't need to be because if it was just us talking a conversation within our community, you wouldn't needed to draw the lens out of it. It mm-hmm. wouldn't feel like I'm looking into a window. I would just feel like I'm sitting inside at the table. It's an experience, right? Like it's right. a normal thing. It does feel very clunky. Also, like there's a lot to be said about the fact that her mother, who's played by uh, Dana Gorey, I believe, um, she is darker skin and plus size and she's seen as like the downer because anytime her daughter wants to like go explore or do something she's like no we can't do this you like i'm protecting you it's very like she doesn't have the same like light-hearted energy the same like support mm-hmm. your kids energy that dion's mother nicole nicole right yeah nicole yeah, they, is given and they don't do anything to develop her character and explain why she may be like that why mm-hmm. obviously i've it, if you're coming from something where you have to protect your 
one of your experiences are not the same. One of you raised your daughter. One of you raised your children in suburbia where he's going to school and he's he's the one creating the most problems. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? Yes, he has the 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 crooked man. But like that's that's the most that that he's facing. You get what I mean? But the her daughter, she also has oppression, the oppression of being a black girl in her community. And we didn't really see that experience in the first season of Raising Dion. Do you get what I mean? Like we did not see that explored. What's crazy is how they actually double up on her oppression. Her mom is Tracy Bonner, by the way. Her mom's Tracy Bonner. Um the actress who plays her is Tracy Bonner. Um but it's crazy to me the way that they double up on what is her name? Is it Jasmine? The the girl's oppression because like even when she falls in love, you know the way teens mm. do, that whole conversation is driven by it's really negative the whole time. Like she's searching for normalcy. She tries to have this conversation with her mom. Her mom shuts her down. She has so few positive interactions with her mother, and it's never framed as. My mother is scared. She's terrified right. of what's happening with me and what could happen to me because of what I am. It's almost always framed as my mother is controlling. My mother is problematic. My mother doesn't understand me. That it's just a completely different. You're right. It's just a completely different switch for between the relationship between Dion and Nicole, because when Dion and Nicole are in this moment. Right. And Nicole is terrified for Dion. The plot makes it more understandable for Nicole to be afraid, for Nicole to want to be in the mix, for Nicole to want to control what's happening with her child. Yeah. And I think that, and I think they give that, that license to raising Dion's, Dion's family specifically, because it's not just Nicole. Nicole's sister is also seen as like a very nurturing, independent soul. Right. And I'm like, okay, we're, it's, it's very clear what y'all are trying to do here. Why? Like, that's my main question. Why are like, why is this happening? Because there's very awkward moments with uh, like without just Nicole and Alicia Wainwright, because Ali- I will say Alicia does a fantastic job playing the role. But it's the story that leaves like that ick in your like mouth. Right. Um, do you all remember that scene where uh, Rome Flynn and Alicia w- Wainwright are like meeting for the first time and they're like doing their little flirt thing? And you're like, oh, hello, Rome. How are you? I, too, would flirt. And then Rome like displays his powers and Alicia's character is just freaks. And he's like, are you prejudiced against powered people? I'm like, okay, why? Boo. <laughs> like y'all are really one <laughs> word away from saying just colored. It's so heavy handed. But I mean, if we get into the the history of X-Men kind of used mutants as a parallel allegory. for, a, for you know, what racism was. So th- there's history for that. You get what I mean? So I was less offended by X-Men, though, only because they also have the subplot of Magneto being a Holocaust survivor. Right. That's yeah. A hundred times better. But like, at least (laughs) at least for him, this is a character who is like heavily invested in making sure that his people never have to be oppressed again because he is literally 
experience this on a regular basis, which is not to say that Rome Flynn's Tevin is not experiencing this, but also Rome Flynn's Tevin is a light-skinned, very handsome, beautiful man, okay? He's not experiencing oppression the way that a darker-skinned Black man who would be seen as more threatening might be. What's wild, speaking of Tevin or Rome, is that Michael B. Jordan even replaced himself with a lighter model, y'all. Like, he just, the brown was too much. Okay, he couldn't handle it. The way but I didn't even realize it like, until right now. Kind, does isn't she subconsciously afraid of power people? No, we're not going to question this. We're not going <laughs> to. We're not going to give. We're not going down. Want, okay. <laughs> we're not. We're not doing the what ifs here. <laughs> Was he wrong though? I just want to say again about the going back to just the point about the colorism. I just want to say how hard it was to see that plot play out because especially as a darker skin plus size person we are not given the ability to be soft or vulnerable and just we're not given that grace and we're not given the benefit of the doubt and so in experiences where it would be where it's obvious that we are having the same reaction that someone else is we are just expected to react differently, to be stronger, to hold it in more. Our anger or our fear is interpreted differently. It's interpreted more harsh. And seeing that play out on screen was just so much more triggering for me because I've just been in so many situations where I've, you know, an interaction has turned into an HR conversation, you know, and and that's, well, why... Why are you crying just because I said, okay, girl, that's on you. You get what I mean? Like the, those, those situations are, are so common. And I've, I've seen black women have to explain just ex- their existence to white women and to lighter women all of the time. And, and, and that, that's my piece. No, because literally as a browner, browner, black mom, raising Dion was really important to me. I was super excited when it was like first announced. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. You know, um, this is a show that I can watch with my kid. This is a show that we can share. It could be like a family because, you know, we used to have sitcoms, right? Like black people used to have sitcoms and then they kind of just trickled off or they got like absorbed by white culture, like how Friends was just a rip off of Living Single, et cetera. And so I was super excited about Raising Dion and then Raising Dion actually came out and I was like, okay, I mean, it's still kind of cute, but (laughs) what are they, what are they telling Black people? And then this season is on the way and I was watching it and as somebody who has had to like go in for my kid because he has ADHD, so he learns differently and he behaves differently and go in like tough because yeah, they don't be listening, especially when they're young and they're like, oh, that's just how boys act. But this isn't how my kid acts. Yeah, it was very, very much problematic to watch the browner woman be portrayed in the way that she was. And then for them to not even have like a real resolution mm-hmm. for the situation between Jasmine and Simone. I think that's her mom's name. It was just like, like, I know they're not the main characters, but if you're going to like introduce this type of relationship and this type of tension, then you need to find ways to resolve it so that we can see it as an audience, right? Don't just bring her back next season and act like everything's good and cool. 
I think that it would have, like, this season would have been a lot more interesting. A, if they, you know, like Tor mentioned, if they didn't do the whole thing, like, you're looking into the room from a window where the, it just was the experience of Black folks in America, rather than it being heavily watered down for a non-Black audience. If they actually did the work to show Tessa's fear, like, why she is so worried about her daughter's safety, why she's so protective, because... That could have been a really interesting conversation to have about like the cycl cyclical nature of abuse with like Tessa has faced so much abuse from society as a whole as a darker skinned plus size black woman. She's very protective of her. Pause. She's Simone. Simone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I know say Tessa. I think there was a, like a casting thing, but like is is Simone is Jasmine's mom. Okay. Like, if you go check Tracy Bonner's Instagram, it says Simone in um, season two. Of Raising Dion. And I know she's the mom. I literally call Tracy Dana Gour like Gourier twice now. I'm Tracy, if you ever hear this, I am so sorry. That is on me for <laughs> not so doing my research better. Y'all correct. <laughs> excuse me. Correct we me if I act a fool. Go like cash out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just calling HR. Why are you attacking me right now? <laughs> I've never yeah. felt so uncomfortable in a workplace in my life. I feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> they they attacked me tomorrow. <laughs> the, that meeting is going to be the three of us sitting on the like the board of directors, just like and you both dragging me, and I'll be like, okay, yeah, I fucked up, I fucked up. <laughs> but thank you for correcting me, Simone. Uh, like I feel like if they had done what. Uh, Tor was talking about and actually explored why she was so overprotective and why she was so scared. That would have made for a far more enjoyable and far more like emotionally appealing season than what we got. Especially because really that was pretty much most of the tension. We're going to be honest. Yeah, it was. No, they, 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 really they really treated Jasmine like she was a walking like human grenade. And, and then that when they revealed her real powers, <gasps> I was like, <laughs> what, what, what? Like this whole time that's been her deal. And y'all was just like, oh, okay. So all she does is destroy stuff, which is another problem. Because mm -hmm. Dion, speak about it. <laughs> Dion has like all of these amazing, great powers. He literally pulls powers out of his ass. Rome, the light skin protector is literally the light skin protector. Like that's his thing right okay protector of black woman womanhood or whatever and then you get jasmine over here and every time we turn around it's like oh she's, she's so an object of destruction all she does is destroy <laughs> shit right and then it turns out that her power is literally breaking things down into their most elemental form which is amazing because mm -hmm. that's impossible to do even tearing apart molecules that's crazy you can't do that like scientifically and we just blast right over that like we don't we don't even talk about it it's just like okay well oh that's a thing can we touch on <laughs> Can we touch on for the majority of our first interactions with Jasmine? She is the emotionally unstable, destructive black girl. And they call her issues behavioral Speak problems. They call her issues literally behavioral. Like if you look at the casting, not the casting description, but like the description of like her first appearance in the episode, it's like Simone and Jasmine are at Bayana to work on Jasmine's behavioral issues. Behavioral issues? She's a teenage girl who like destroys everything she touches but doesn't mean to. And then y'all don't understand what she's trying to do. Even when she, and I and mean, don't to be to her, honest, isn't that just being a teenage girl? I remember being a teenage, like I remember middle school in India. I was buzzing up CCTV cameras in the school, okay? I was a problem child. Like, how did they even figure out what her powers were? Like, they walked into the room and it was destroyed? Girl. Like, that's, <laughs> like, what? Okay, I'm just kidding. 
you must have went through it at school today. Huh? <laughs> like, that's not, I'm not confused. I'm just, it's ridiculous. It is like, and honestly, like we could go on, on like on and on about this forever. But the fact of the matter is raising Dion had a lot of potential because the comic I've read them, they do a great job. And then we have like Dion's character, who's again, like April said, he's pulling powers out his ass. Literally, there's a whole scene where like him and Rome's character are like interacting and they're basically yeah. like, can you do this power and this and power he's and just this like, power? He like, he like says a word and like Dion's like, I don't know what that means, but is it this? <laughs> and then, and it's just like, yes, yes, it is. And no, then, but what is that? I was like, and that's it's not even like a big part of the show. He just decides he can create a new power and they're like, cool. What? And Baby, no, come back. it's just another fun thing he can do. And But he still keeps the name Mind Mover, which is crazy to me because telekinesis isn't even his main power anymore. What's going on here? He can do everything. I was vibing with it season one. I- and they've ruined it for me. I will give I will give them one problem of credit for casting Esperanza. They actually cast a like a wheelchair user because we get like little to no representation of disabled actors playing themselves. Does she love get Sammy. paid dust? Yes. Does she I love get paid Sammy. dust? She's so great. I want to see her in others. Like, I'm very excited to see her in other things. But that's the one crumb of they can praise I'm going to. They can have one right. One singular right. Just but then one. they did her dirty by making her sing. I'm telling you, I'm not going. Why Girl, would y'all do really, that? <laughs> they had her. They they had her on stage singing Effie, and I'm like, that is a hard song to sing for professional singers. And you had a literal child doing that. That's unfair. But I digress. Okay, we. I will say for all of the mess this is, there are two pieces of media Netflix is drop dropping in the coming year that I am very excited for, and that we have seen cast darker skin actors. One being Bridgerton season two. We got Sharma Sisters played by darker skin, brown women, South Asian representation. We love to see it. I will be showing up to that screening in a sari with my Haldiram sweets. I will be showing up accordingly. And then the second show I'm really excited for is Sandman because Death is played by a black woman. Kirby Howell Baptiste is playing Death. I want to see how they portray Death because Death can be a very polarizing character when it's personified in media. It can always be like super cruel or like cold. I would love to see her play death as like very empathetic, nurturing, but tired of all the suffering she's had. I feel like that could add amazing depth. And we know that Kirby is more than capable of that sort of portrayal. Well, I am also to no one who follows me on Twitter surprise, very excited for Bridgerton season two. I was, yeah, I still remember joking with my friend about like, after I read the book, I was like, I want Kate to be a Daisy. And then it was announced and I have not shut up since. Listen, I am convinced that, listen, that was before Twitter kicked me off and banned me. Uh, If Jack, if you're listening, let my ass back on. But I am convinced that you manifested that. Oh, so I am convinced you manifested that because I saw you tweeting religiously about Daisy Kate. Oh yeah, I did not stop until we had secured it. So I I will be waiting. Netflix, if you're listening, please please Listen, give us anything, something. We know Netflix. Netflix. First of all, thank you for giving us raising Dion's early access to that. We really appreciate it. Even though we've been unkind to the show, we we want you to do better. We have faith. But with Bridgerton, we're really excited. We have our hopes are high. Fingers cross we get to interview we get to interview the cast i'm still like if we could do a round table with the sharma family i would ascend into the heaven we've been going on and all y'all what else, like is there anything y'all want to like final notes that we want to give to the audience i'm super excited pause i'm super excited for the woman king 
in um, September, I think. Yes. And like, if you've seen yes. the cast lineup, everybody is so brown. It's so pretty. Viola and Lupita and Lashana. Um, and I think John Boyega's in that one. Yep. Like, I'm just so, I'm so very much ready for that. I, the talent is astronomical. The cast is amazing. I, it's going to be beautiful. I just personally would like to say, I don't know if y'all are watching Abbott Elementary. Yes! Yes! <laughs> but you should be. And I don't know when, what's his name, got turned into a snap, but it happened. Girl, watch that man grow up, okay? I feel dirty <laughs> looking at him. <laughs> I, actually, I actually met him at a press trainer once, and I was... <laughs> he was you, really You sweet. said hi... You said hi. Don't worry, we're polyamorous. I can add you to I can add you to the harem. Just let him know. Just let him know. But okay, uh, in case anyone ever, you know, from um like anyone is listening, uh, we would love to attend the red carpet for you know all of these things. Like just invite us. I got I got like a cape that I can pull out. Oh, we can show up. But <laughs> um Meha, what about you? What's final notes, final thoughts? What do you want to say? Yep. Um, I would love to see sort of more stories that just center people of color, just doing their own things, living their own experiences and not being teachable moments for white people. So I'm hoping Bridgerton delivers that. Just give us a fun, frothy, very dramatic romance with a beautiful Tamil girl at the center of it. And I will be thrilled. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we get a lot more content in that line um, so that we can break out of this little situation we've been in for a very long time. Listen, it's a Shonda production. So we know every single one of those Bridgerton siblings is ending up with a person of color. Every single one. It's the it's like the it's the interracial relationship agenda every time. And I'm here for it. And I'm here for it. Okay. Next time remind me to talk about Southside, the show. Okay. Talk about it. <laughs> Let me make a note for the, the second episode, but that's all for you. That's all for this episode, y'all. This has been an off-color production. Make sure you follow us everywhere at off-color org. Off-color org, that's color with a U. Check out our Patreon for exclusive content. And leave us a review while you're here. Until next time, we're off. Bye.